When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Love of the Star podcast. I am Bobby Belt, Dallas Cowboys insider for 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. That's the radio flagship home of the Cowboys. Joined, as always, by former Super Bowl winning NFL scout, Brian Broaddus. What, what, what's the correct way to say that, Brian? Because I don't want to make it sound like it, it, like your Super Bowl is former. You're a former scout who won a Super Bowl. So is it former Super Bowl? No, oh, man, I think you're doing it fine. I appreciate the fact that you just mentioned it. But Super Bowl 31 seems like it was like so long ago. And it's funny when you go back and you like uh, look at highlights and and you know, this sounds terrible, but with Brett Favre in the news, you know, they show yeah. all the highlights and you're like, oh, okay. And, but yeah, but no, I appreciate you just mentioned the fact that I was a, a participant and a winner. Uh, didn't play, but uh, stood there and uh, sweated out every single minute of that game against the Patriots there in New Orleans. But uh, blessed to be blessed to be a winner on a team that won a Super Bowl. Well, we'll get to the Giants game here in a sec. Cowboys beat the Giants twenty-three to sixteen. I just have two quick questions for Brian. Uh, first, when you were working for the Cowboys, did you ever uh, like flex on on Jerry and them and say like, "Yeah, you have three rings, but mine is newer." Uh, no, I never flexed on, I, I have a man, one of the funniest stories and maybe, maybe another time with the time when Jerry and I were, uh, we were together in Florida and yeah. I had my Super Bowl ring on and he had his Super Bowl ring on. And, uh, we ran into a young lady who happened to, we were there, we were, Chad Hutchinson was leaving to go to NFL Europe and I was there scouting and Jerry was, uh, there to say goodbye to to Chad, you know, say, have a good season and all that. So we're sitting there having a nice tea, legitimately having a nice tea. We weren't drinking or anything like that. And uh, this girl walks by, very attractive young lady, and she walks by and she goes, she looks at me and goes, were you in Hooters last night? And I go, no, ma'am, I, I really wasn't in Hooters last night. Jerry kind of looks at me, kind of smiles, and she goes, you sure you weren't in Hooters last night? I go, no, ma'am, I, I really wasn't in Hooters last night. I was – I was over at a Leroy, uh, Leroy Selman's barbecue place eating there in Tampa. She goes, you sure? And I'm like, no, I really wasn't. So she saw my Super Bowl ring. And so I was sitting there and uh, she goes, oh, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a professional football scout. And she goes, well, that's a nice ring. And I took it off. And she goes, I go, it's a Super Bowl ring. And she goes, oh, my God, that's crazy. It's beautiful. And so she kind of looked over at Jerry and she looked down and Jerry had his Super Bowl ring on. And Jerry, like, uh, you know, Typical Jerry's looking up at her and she's like, oh, my gosh, you've got a ring, too. And he goes, yes, ma'am, I do. And uh, and so she goes, well, what do you do? And he goes, ma'am, I own the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> so you talk about a flex. 
I, she looked at me and I like nodded my head like, yeah, that, that man owns the Dallas Cowboys. She's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't recognize, you know, she Jerry, typical Jerry fashion's like, oh, that's okay. You know, it's nice to meet you and all that. But yeah, Jerry took his Super Bowl ring off and she looked at it and, and, uh, and away she went on her merry way. But yeah, she, she didn't know she had met the owner of the Dallas Cowboys and it, it just so happened because one, she thought I was in Hooters, and two, we both had our Super Bowl rings on. Yeah, I think the the big uh, assignment for our listeners this week: find out who was in Hooters in Tampa Bay around two thousand two or, or whenever. Yeah, that I was with Chad Hutchinson. Yeah, we were yeah, sending try, him try, off. Try, the NFL down, try and track down the Hooters patron. And then last question, then we'll get we'll get in the game. I'm curious. You you said you didn't get to play, but you were you were part of the the team. Mm-hmm. What was your what is the contribution you're most proud of to that Super Bowl team? A guy you scouted. Oh, you yeah, no, I was I was a, a college scouting administrator. So what I did was I coordinated where the scouts went, got all the reports. And this is before we really we were just uh, we were getting into working on computers. And, and that was something really, really new. So, you know, getting scouting reports in, getting tape, uh, you know, my contribution of going out on the road was was minimal initially um, with all that, because I was I, I just I was like, you know, just making sure that everything was in our systems, uh, making sure that uh, that we had, a, you know, uh, that we're going to the right schools and our you, lists you and everything. You were yeah, Chris Hall. I, I was Chris Hall of the Cowboys. Yeah, I was coordinating. I just made sure, like I say, I did a little bit of scouting when we had to cover up pro days and stuff like that, and, and it was really a great experience. And that's where I learned. But man, I, I like overseeing eight scouts around the country and making sure that our board was set. And that's, that's a lot of the things that I learned when I, so the contribution that, you know, I was part of, we, we, well, we, Brett Favre, as we just mentioned, um, as part of the conversation, when we traded for Brett Favre, that we, as scouts sat down, all evaluated Brett Favre and all had an opinion on Brett Favre and should we do it? Should we not? And, you know, to a man, uh, had some really great discussions about trading for Brett Favre in 1992, uh, had some opinions about, uh, you know, with the Reggie White and free agency and that, and, you know, what that was going to entail. And then we added Andre Risen was another thing. I mean, there were there were several guys on that team that the scouts, uh, whether college or pro, had John Snyder, Ted Thompson, guys who have been general managers in the league, uh, had big contributions to building that football team. And that's what you have to have, that you have to have that marriage between your pro scouts going out and finding like a kid like Turpin and your college okay. scouts going out and finding a guy like Tyler Smith. Those are the types of things that help you win, win games. Cowboys win on Monday night football, 23 to 16. They are uh, one of three teams now above 500 in the NFC East as they get ready to take on the commanders. Who would have thought that, huh? I know it's wild. Uh, Brian, what was uh, coming out of this game? I, I guess what was, what was your your big takeaway from it, whether it be a, a specific player, a specific moment, um, or or a positional unit that you thought performed really well? What what was the big takeaway for you coming out of the game? I was terrified of Ojalari and Thibodeau and them coming back with the Giants and then the pass rush. You know, were, were they going to come and, as we like to say, wreck shop on this Cowboys offensive line? Uh, were they going to come in and control the running game? Were they going to come and, uh, you know, hit Cooper Rush a bunch? Were they going to cause problems? Uh, Aziz Ojolari and Thibodeau 
they were not a factor in this football game. Great job by the Cowboys game planning. Great job by them with the scheme. Great job by the uh, by max protections, chip blocking, one-on-one stuff. Just overall, you, you could, as good as the Cowboys' defensive line played in this game, you could say the Cowboys' offensive line was just as good. And they had to be good. And with Ojolari and Thibodeau, that, that, was the, that was going to be the Giants' pass rush. For one to have one assist and the other to have one tackle, that is a huge win for Terrence Steele, huge win for Tyler Smith, huge win for Ferguson, Hendershot, uh, guys that chip blocked, uh, Zeke, anybody that had a hand in that, Joe Philbin, you know, anybody that had a hand in controlling that front the way they did, uh, a, a tip of the cap to them in that direction. This is a Cowboys team that we're finding out can run the football really, really well. Um, and we'll talk a little bit next segment about uh, some of what Kellen Moore had to say about playing behind the chains and and why the offense has been more successful the last couple of weeks. Um, but but big takeaway I think is that Tony Pollard Ezekiel Elliott connection works yeah. really, really well. And something that I think I, I noticed you I believe you observed it on the post game show. I was listening on the bus. And then on the plane back, I was catching up on the postgame show. You and Zach Wolchuk did a great job there. Thank you. Um, but something that you uh, were talking about either on the postgame show or yesterday on G-Bag, the interesting way that it was Pollard closing the game. It yeah. Was Pollard who they were trying to get to, to, you know, ice the game with. Yeah, they got to the four-minute offense, and that's when you hear the word, what I just said, that phrase, four-minute offense. It's you're trying to kill the last four minutes of the game, and it used to be – when Cowboy history was a guy like Emmett Smith, they would build a lead and then all of a sudden they'd get the ball back from uh, their defense would get the ball back. And then now they would go on this four minute drive where it'd be Emmett Smith, Emmett Smith, offensive line, Emmett Smith, uh, you know, Troy me with a simple pass, Emmett Smith. I mean, they were working to kill the game and you would think that you would put Ezekiel Elliott in there to kill the game and that no, it was Tony Pollard that they put in there. And to your point, I really, really do want to give them a, a, another tip of the cap. They finally figured out how to use Tony Pollard and Ezekiel yeah. Elliott at the same time. They finally figured out that all this years of, you know, well, you know, Tony Pollard forever has been third series of the game. Tony, you get to play until you either you punt or you score. But they figured it out. There is a great mix right now. Zeke comes off the field. Tony comes on. Tony's there for two plays. Zeke comes back on for three plays. Tony comes back on for a play. Zeke for two plays. They've got a great mix right now of how they're using these running backs. And you almost have to look up uh, after they unpile and say, oh, who was carrying the ball there? Was it Elliott or was it uh, was it Pollard? So good job by this, this offensive staff of having a plan on how to use these two guys. Man, I thought one of the things that really stood out to me, um, Cooper Rush, I thought, played pretty well. Uh, it, receivers didn't do him a ton of favors at times. Jalen Tolbert and CeeDee Lamb both dropped the two deepest balls I think we saw thrown all game. Um, they were there. They should have been completed, I think, both of them. The Tolbert one a little bit more difficult than, obviously, the CeeDee Lamb one, which was wide open in the field. But on the CeeDee Lamb front, I got to say, I don't know about you, Brian. I'll, I'll be completely honest. When he drops that ball, and he's clearly in his head about it a little bit afterwards. He's he having sure was. Lawrence, Trayvon Diggs having to come over and 
kind of give him a pep talk on the sideline. He talked post game, said he was still thinking about it later in the game. Um, kind of sitting there a little bit. I don't know about you, Brian, but just kind of going, man, are, are we sure this is the guy? Like, are we sure this is the sure. guy? Because there's a few weeks in a row now where, where it's felt a little troubling. And I think as everybody's just kind of going, like thinking about that question, he comes out there and has, to me, the best drive of his NFL career where he has those four catches, gets the tough fourth down conversion. Uh, a little bit before that had an 18 yard catch on the drive, gets that big catch down to the one. And then it's that one handed catch as he, he's fallen back on the back shoulder fade, rips his helmet off, is yelling at the Giants crowd, told us afterwards in the locker, said, yeah, they pissed me off. I, I wanted to let them hear about it a little bit. Uh, but man, I loved for, for a team that really wants the alpha energy from their receiver. Yeah. I, I think you saw it from CeeDee Lamb on that drive, and that was a big encouragement to me that he was able to bounce back. I think there's I think there's some toughness about CeeDee Lamb, and I'm not gonna say it's fake toughness, but I think it's a very sensitive guy as well. I think he's trying he, to reassure himself. Almost. He almost has to talk himself into being that he's a number one wide receiver. And this team has a history of number one wide receivers not having to do that. Drew Pearson, I, I watched Drew Pearson growing up, never lacked for confidence. Uh, Michael Irvin, I competed against him, never lacked for confidence. Worked with Des Bryant, never lacked with confidence. You know, there's a side of me that believes that CeeDee Lamb has, has all the skill in the world but he almost has to talk himself into believing that he has all that skill in the world. Yeah. And, and I, I, I've seen him hundreds of times catch balls and run after catch in Oklahoma. And you're thinking like, man, what a dynamic player. And he gets the league. And I think that sometimes that he, when things go bad initially for him, it's a problem because it wears on him. He's, he feels pressure more than most. And I, I, man, that's tough. And when you're fighting it as a receiver and you're not confident that when the ball's coming in your direction, some of these guys that I've been with, they put their hands up, the ball goes right there, and it just secure as can be. Sterling Sharp was a guy like that that I was yeah. with in Green Bay. You could cover Sterling Sharp with all 11 defensive players, and he was still going to catch that football. That's just the way he played. And that's the confidence. Michael Irvin, same way. You could cover him. He was going to catch that ball. Drew Pierce, I mentioned. Des Bryant, they were going to get that ball. With CD, I think it's a struggle. And when it's not going well, it weighs on him. And then you have to almost get him going. And then he makes a play. That fourth down play was huge. You know, fourth and four, Mike McCarthy once again, you know, we're talking about it. You know, Zach Wolchuk and I are watching the game and I'm thinking, man, the defense is playing great. Punt this ball. You know, and and, and that's that's – not old crusty guy. I'm just kind of seeing the flow of the game. And yeah. McCarthy once again lines up. He gets the Giants to burn a timeout. They go to another play. But what does he do? He throws the ball. Cooper Rush throws the ball right to C.D. Lamb. And C.D. makes a catch, a contested catch, right at the sticks. And it's a first down. And you're going, man, okay, here we go. And that's all he really, really needed. And you know what? But there's a side of me, like I said, Bobby, I know this is a long answer. I'm apologizing. But – the, I think he, I think he has to talk himself into believing that he is as good as he is. And I think his mechanism is: I work hard, I prepared for this. I, you know, it's almost like it's he's giving himself, 
Yeah, it's almost like he's looking in the mirror saying, you're good enough to be this. You're good enough to do this. You're good enough to play in this league. You are a number one wide receiver. And when it doesn't happen initially, boy, it's a big, big, big struggle for him to have to get through that. Yeah, and he talked about afterwards that the biggest thing he's learned about being a number one, he told us in the locker, is just like riding the ebbs and flows, recognizing yeah. that it's going to go up and it's going to go down and and people are going to target you and, and try and take you out of the game. Speaking of uh, trying to take guys out of the game, we'll, we'll wrap up the, the recap with this right here. Uh, Micah Parsons, not nearly the same impact yeah. um, that we've seen from him at other times, or, or at least a different impact. He was getting double teamed a lot, a lot. And, and you know, they, they were playing him more as a traditional linebacker than I think we've seen the first two weeks. That uh, running he, game, we talked about that running game. Had to choke he, that thing, yeah. He was big in the running game, played 10 snaps in coverage, which was more than he played the first two weeks combined. Um, but also standing at his locker afterwards. I mean, you know, it's 20 minutes after the game. A lot of the guys have showered, pretty them, prettied themselves up for the flight. Micah Parsons is still sitting there with sweat just pouring down his face yeah. after he's dressed and showered. Uh, I think he was pretty exhausted. I don't know if you could see it. It looked to me like he was sick. He looked pretty yeah. fatigued out there on that football field yeah Micah Parsons on a couple different levels the 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 illness he was dealing with uh, the knee the toe there's a lot of things going on that he's playing through right now and you know um I I I, it was a it was one of those games they but they had to have him you know they had to have him because just his presence on the field opens up stuff for Tank opens up stuff for Armstrong opens up stuff for Oso Digizawa, you know, it opens up stuff for Barr, Vander Esch. I mean, it's the amount of attention that's paid to that number 11 on a daily basis in a game is immense. And I really, really like the fact that everybody that I mentioned showed up to help him. You know, he he might not have been he, he might have been a 70 percent player in that game, but everybody else played at 110. And they were able to get things done, control the running game, the pressures that Daniel Jones faced throughout, the coverages that they had, still had some of those penalties that you shake your head at, you know, the the, the, the Jordan Lewis defensive holding penalty, the inexcusable penalty. You know, Kelvin Joseph, you get a chance to play in a game, you get a face mask penalty. You know, these are things that can happen. But overall, though, Dan Quinn's troops did a great job of, of controlling that giant offense and they, they lack weapons, but man, they, the giants, and you remember we had, uh, you know, John smoke on, they were, they were very complimentary of their offensive tackles in this game and their offensive tackles struggled. And yeah. so that, that's, a, that's a good sign for Cowboys going forward defensively. You're listening to the love of the star podcast. The love of the stars and odyssey podcast. You can find it on the odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.